and welcome to Anarchism Interrupted, an anarcho-feminist podcast where we will discuss anarcho-feminist perspectives and readings, bringing together radical politics, anti-capitalism and feminism. My name is Vicky and my pronouns are she, they. And my name is Anna Marie and I fucking hate pronouns. And we are anarcho-feminists. Okay, wow. That was, okay. That was pretty bad. But also you're cheating um, by saying anarcho. Oh my God, we're not going to have this fight again. <laughs> <laughs> They're both correct. They are. Anyway. But anarcho so, is better. <laughs> uh, the infighting on the left. <laughs> so Classic example of leftist discourse, am I right? Oh. <laughs> Anyway, today we are joined by Katie. We will talk about her article on mutual aid called All of the Legwork, None of the Power. Hello, Katie. Um, Hello, I'm Katie. Um, I live in Northumberland. I work as a translator and I've been been doing a lot of mutual aid recently to the extent that I can't talk about anything else. So I'm here to do that (laughs) and maybe talk about other things if I'm physically capable of doing that. Good. Setting the expectations for the listener. Very low and mostly to do with mutual aid. (laughs) As long as we're all on the same page. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, this week's reading is uh, an article in Freedom Newspaper. Is that what it's called? Freedom News? Um, News. About mutual aid. So um, this is also why we have Katie here. The mutual aid expert. The mutual aid <laughs> goblin. The mutual we, aid goblin. Call, we call ourselves two gremlins. So you get to pick. You can be a gremlin or any other creature as long as it's not human. <laughs> People have called me a hobbit in the past, um, owing to my stature. So the mutual aid <laughs> hobbit. Um, I've never called yeah. myself that before, but um, I guess well, I will from now on. Well, we Great. will. Yeah, we'll tell you that. Thank you. That's perfect. Honor. Thank you for that. So I have a summary. Like we start all of our episodes with. Do you want to tie me, Vicky, and I can try and sum up the reading? Yeah. What? How? What amount of time? Um. Give me a minute. Okay, we're being ambitious. Oh no! (laughs) Immediate (laughs) regret. Okay, I'll do a minute and I'll just, because basically we're recording this over Zoom so so we can speak to each other. Uh, So I will just hold up a finger. Okay, three, two, one. (laughs) Oh no, I'm sorry, I'm trying. Um, All of the legwork, none of the power, which is the name of the article, is about some of the roadblocks to setting up and maintaining a mutual aid project. In this case, a community larder in a phone box run by mutual aid Alnwick. Alnwick? Um, It covers many key concepts of mutual aid in a succinct and practical way through the experiences of those uh, running the larder. These include that mutual aid is for everyone, uh, that uh, cops should never be involved in suck, um, that being led by kindness and care is really important, and that uh, not participating in like bureaucracies or being interested in any of those kinds of hierarchies is um, good and like just getting things done is important too. Um, and, and then the article also does talk about corporate counsel and community antagonism to the project. And oh, okay, well, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep going because I've just got a little bit left. Um, it does talk about corporate counsel and community antagonism to the project and um, how a lot of it is based on inaccurate information, perceptions and or morals. Done. Very good. <laughs> nice. A little bit over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think yeah. you did pretty well. I don't know what uh, the author thinks. <laughs> the author's delighted by that. Um, it's pronounced Anik, but most people get that wrong. Um, in fact, every single person who's not familiar with the town gets it wrong. It's like a, a trap for people who don't live in Northumberland because we apparently enjoy doing that kind of thing. So it's it's Anik, like the first few syllables of anarchism, um, which amuses me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and, and we're all called anarchists because this is where we live. It's just that most people don't actually have those politics. Um, as I as I discovered <laughs> when trying to do mutual aid, um, 
but yeah, other than that, excellent. That's a very good summary. Um, I don't think I could have done that any better myself, to be honest. Thank you. Thank you very much. I've come such a long way. <laughs> yes, you really have. I really have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, great. So I was kind of thinking maybe we could talk before we maybe talk more specifically about the articles, we could talk about kind of like what happened before this article, like mm. the actual uh, like founding of the, the community ladder or like the beginnings of that project. And like, obviously you do talk about how it was um, in part in response to the outbreak of COVID and then a lot of like um, focus on mutual aid stuff, but, Obviously, I feel like there is a difference between people who know what mutual aid is doing that stuff and then people who only just found out about what mutual aid is and then are trying to do it. But maybe, yeah, I don't know. No, that's very much a thing because a lot of these groups were springing up when lockdown first hit, if I remember rightly. It feels like a hundred years ago now, but it was incredibly just a year and a half ago. And um, yeah, there were lots of these mutual aid groups and some of them ran alongside, well, along the lines of... um, mutual aid as a as a principle as a philosophy and some of them did not they were run by town councils and I don't really know what they were and I mean I'm not as I'll probably get into later I'm not all about ideological purity but we should at least give it a go you know we should if we're doing mutual aid we should maybe stick to the basic principle that we help everybody um so I was at an advantage when lockdown first hit because I knew what it was vaguely like I could have given you a a one minute summary. I've not read the book. I haven't read any books, but um, I knew what mutual aid was. So so I thought I'd try and do that before the council did it. Um, we actually set up on the same day. There's a rival council run group, but they've <laughs> they've kind of disbanded now. Um, oh, so you've won. I like to think so, yeah. Mm, good. That's they, what I want to do as an anarchist. <laughs> they would probably disagree with me, but I believe that I've won definitively for all time (laughs) but um yeah so what I'd what I'd originally envisage would be that every street would have an assigned person who'd look after everybody on that street make sure they're getting fed and that they're looked after Um, and that happened in some towns but with us it never really took off because the town that I live in kind of everybody knows each other anyway so for the first couple of weeks I was doing shopping for people but then they kind of sorted themselves out because their relatives helped or their friends did. So I thought, like, what can we actually do? And um, I stole this idea on Facebook, but I just saw that somebody was running a community ladder from a phone box. So I thought, well, we've got a phone box and I'll make it into a community ladder. And um, I had a fair bit of help from the community in actually setting one up. There was a lady who made us shelves and... um, like custom made shells for the ladder, which was really cool. I'm still really happy about it. And um, and it's been going since April, 2020. So it's, it's a fair while now. And um, it kind of, it runs along the principle of uh, take what you need, leave what you can. So people can take whatever foods there basically. And there's no judgment made as to um, how much they take from it, how frequently they take from it. They're welcome to what's there. Um, And that's the principle that we're sticking to. We don't, we don't judge, we don't um, make any distinction between deserving and undeserving. And um, so we might not be 100% ideologically pure, but that's <laughs> that's at the heart of it. That's what we're doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's about how we started. We've had some roadblocks along the way, as as you mentioned, um, which makes us very tired, but um, but we're still going, you know, and, and that's a good thing. That's great. I feel like... Um something that gets lost with a lot of like I guess just like a lot of talk about anarchism but also just like other kind of politics is just like a really practical like we have a phone box let's just do it somebody's yeah. gonna make the shelves it's done. pretty much yeah like um yeah just do it basically and I asked BT for permission which is not very anarchist of me but I thought I'll ask them and if they say no <laughs> I'm committed to making this happen, you know, so, um, <laughs> um, but they did give me permission. And I thought, well, that's good because a lot of people in town are very law abiding individuals. Some people are like that, you know, no judgment. And um, So I've printed off the official email from BT saying, that, yeah, we're allowed to do this. And that lends it some kind of legitimacy because, I mean, essentially the group is just 
me doing stuff. <laughs> We're not proper at all. We have no documents. It's just me doing things and asking people for help occasionally. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, as uh, the chairperson of Anti-BT Action, also known as <laughs> ABTA, I am very disappointed. That's awful. <laughs> I'm sure, like, you help people, but I can't believe you asked for permission. <laughs> I'm sorry. But it's but... interesting because, like, these are the realities of how to practically do stuff, is that you have to do stuff like that sometimes. Mm. You know, it's the same with, I mean, I don't want to get cancelled online, but, you know, it's the same with not talking to cops, like, ever, under any circumstance. Like, sometimes you will have to, just don't do it for no reason, don't, you know. But, like, there are certain circumstances where, like, the reality is, I was going to say primal. It's not the right word, but it's it's primary. Yeah, it's unavoidable sometimes. Like um, I had the cops around at mine um, a couple of months ago because my neighbour hadn't turned up to a hospital appointment. So they were at my door and my instinct was, I do not talk to cops. But obviously I had to because my neighbour may have expired and, you know, I needed to kind of help him and they were the ones who were there. And I don't think it's the best way of doing things. But as you said, I couldn't really get out of that. And my neighbour was fine in the end, but it was a bit... That's the most I've ever had any, like, the most communication I've had with a cop ever. And it was, it was scary, but, um, but I won't start on cops. That's, that's a different topic. Yeah, I didn't mean to. It was just <laughs> no. an example. No, it's, it's um, a good example. Though. It's, um, and I suppose, yeah, building on that, I wanted to say something about um, the way of doing radicalism in small towns as opposed to cities. Because as, as you probably know, because you see me at these things, I go to protests in cities primarily because that's where they happen but in a small town you have to have a different approach and I think it's unfair to maybe make the assumption that oh it's a small town so it's going to be more conservative I mean it is in some ways but there's also I believe anyway that there's an inherent radicalism in small towns because everybody kind of knows each other so the instinct to help people is there anyway because you're related to half of them and you're friends with the other half and you went to school together and there's a flip side of that as well because it means that there's a greater pressure to conform so if you don't fit that norm then you're outside of it and you're not getting any help so it's not it's not that small towns are better or worse it's just that you need to change your approach if you're doing radicalism and um so with this mutual aid stuff i've never used the word anarchism I've never used the word communism because <laughs> it would be a really I think it would be a really bad move um, because people would assume that in order to get help they have to be anarchists and obviously that's not what we're all about like we want to help people first and then as far as I'm concerned we sort out the theory later and um, yeah I know as well that a lot of the people that we're helping will have very different political views to me because we're a Tory constituency, right? Like we keep voting this woman in and I don't know how, but it keeps happening. And, but the thing is to help people. And um, it's, it's a similar thing, right? If you see a group of problematic communists getting kettled at a protest, what do you do? You, you help them, don't you? Because although you might hate them because they're awful people, you still help them because you don't just leave that up to the cops, do you? You, you help them. You don't leave it up to the state to sort out bigotry. And, um, yeah, I agree. I like I don't know very... where I got that example from. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> it's very specific, isn't it? It's very specific, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's it just rolled off your tongue. I mean, <laughs> it's like I didn't have it prepared. It's like I've, I'm not been thinking about this. <laughs> but, you know, the solution to bigotry is not in the hands of the state. And you help people first. Don't leave it up to the cops or the council. Just... Just do something, essentially. Do what you can do. And um, and that's what I'm trying to do, even though it makes me very tired and sometimes very angry. But um, that's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like... Um, actually, I wanted to say something as well about what you... Because I feel like sometimes also not only what gets lost in like a lot of the ways that people talk about anarchism or like, especially I do think men do this, but generally as well, is that they like think about the world in a way where it, that's just not how the world actually is like they aren't dealing with the like practical reality of it every day which is why yeah like having like hard and fast rules of like no cops or just you know I'm only going to help these kinds of people um or people who behave in this way 
just immediately like stops you from actually being able to facilitate the transformation of like the world of these communities because I feel like as well especially with like mutual aid I think because it really taps into the way that people are deeply uncared for like that is such a um like a fertile space to come into like revolutionary politics from do you know what I mean so like the idea of like stopping people who disagree with you from accessing this kind of help um like immediately stops people from being able to even be transformed into some kind of radical or revolutionary do you know what I mean does that make sense yeah that makes perfect sense to me actually yeah you have to at least as I see it, you have to kind of lead by example. You can't just say, right, look, this is anarchism. It's really good. Everybody should be like this. If you're not actually doing anything. And um, I think, yeah, you help people first and you show people how you personally got to this point. And um, and if you can do that by feeding people during a pandemic, that's a very good starting point. You know, it's something. And, um, and then if somebody is interested in the principles behind it, then they'll come to that themselves, but kind of, they've been given that push you know they might think oh what is mutual aid and then they google it and they're like oh that's where that comes from (laughs) and um yeah I'm not here to preach to people because I'm in no position whatsoever to preach to people (laughs) like like what would qualify me to do that um and having never really been very good at theory myself um or very interested in it to be honest like um I I just try and do things and, and just hopefully people like some of the things and then they can do things as well and then we transform society I guess I think that's the plan wow I subscribe to the key to manifesto thanks I am a follower (laughs) yes I'm gonna write a book about this and I'm gonna call it the theory of Katie and then you won't read it okay we'll have a picture of me on the front uh yeah like a, a black and white drawing like oh okay you've, oh. you've thought about this quite a lot of this no just made looking. it up right now wow okay well I'm on board I suppose um as long as I'm properly represented and I'm yeah not yeah out. don't worry the first yeah. line will be we hate theory okay yeah so good. it's fine in theory in theory we hate theory. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I think we touched on this a bit, but I, I, I do think it's interesting the way that the words like mutual aid have been taken up, but the, especially the very beginning of the pandemic, by lots of groups that might not be that. And I do think it gave, you know, I do think it's good overall, but I also think sometimes people talk about it like it was a mainstreaming of anarchist ideas, completely overlooking the fact that it's almost as if, you know, just because people are using those words doesn't mean they're doing the thing. And I was wondering if you maybe could talk about what it is that makes mutual aid different from things like charity, not just in terms of organizationally, in terms of it's a group of people, not the council, but also like charity as a concept. Because I definitely know that even some groups that might be mutual aid groups can still end up just being like volunteering groups for for other things and not necessarily do the thing but what is the thing <laughs> oh what is the thing okay I see I had an answer prepared there and now you said what is the thing <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about that but um so yeah the difference between mutual aid and charity that's what you're asking about good um I feel reasonably well placed to answer this one because I also work for a charity I work for the food bank um and that was how I got into mutual aid specifically targeted against food poverty um and I guess with the charity as I think you touched on there was um it's it's hierarchical so you have a board of trustees and you know even though I I get on very well with all the other volunteers there's still a hierarchy there's somebody in charge um whereas you're not meant to have that in a mutual aid group um (laughs) whether whether or not that works practically the jury's still out on that. I find personally that I'm the one making all of the decisions in my mutual aid group, but uh, I don't know. Um, that's how it should work anyway. And and with charity, I think um, another important point to make is that you would um, 
you would make a distinction between who deserves this help and who does not deserve it. Whereas mutual aid would start from the principle that everybody deserves it. And especially when you're thinking about something as basic as food, obviously we all need to eat, you know, so, um, and that's why I think mutual aid works better. Um, different food banks will work in different ways. And I'm happy enough with the one, um, the one that we have and the way that it works because yeah, like you do need a referral from some kind of state institution like the the job centre or prison service or somebody like that. But I mean, we help we help anybody who needs help. We're not going to bar people from um, from helping. But it's it's still a charity, so it's run along those lines. Um, so I suppose that's the basic difference there. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm committed to mutual aid as a concept. But I'm also realistic and the food bank does a huge amount more for the community than my mutual aid group, you know, because it's it gets a lot of support from um, businesses and from the council because it's so well established. And with the result that it helps a lot more people. And I think if I just decided that, you know, I was against that because it's a charity, then, yeah, I'd be great with ideological purity and I could sit back in the bath full of ideological purity. But, like I wouldn't be helping anybody. So. Um, he's <laughs> just kind of burying her face in her hands when I said that but um but yeah um I mean I would like to be in a bath full of ideological purity but at some point you know the water gets cold and <laughs> <laughs> thank you for building on my metaphor that makes no sense <laughs> you think it would be good for my eczema I reckon it would if it's if it's pure ideological. A hundred percent. Only the pure stuff of the pure stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I will not attempt to guess what it is because I also know nothing. <laughs> there was there was one episode I think where I was like, I will never read Bakunin or, or something like that, just to prove a point, just out of spite, because I will not read a man explaining what anarchism <laughs> is to me. So I feel like we might have some of the same anti-theory attitudes perhaps rooted in different reasons because my reason to do things is always spite and anger <laughs> um no not so different <laughs> oh interesting <laughs> i'm motivated mostly by spite um i would say in everything i do <laughs> i'm joking like oh obviously oh. I'm, I'm partly <laughs> joking <laughs> but spite is definitely a thing um yeah i suppose there's there's good to be found in spite as well i want to show people that we're better than the Tories think we are and that we can help each other and you know that there is good to be found in society and it's not inevitable that we're just gonna vote for this party that's made selfishness it's kind of inherent and only principle you know we're better than that as people and um, so it's kind of it's optimistic spite if I can yes label. yes yeah I like that I like that, I like that too spite yeah, I, I also I think my optimistic spite is that I want to be referred to as the best anarchist. Oh, um, it's being problematic there. Being problematic. It's quite problematic. <laughs> you can be king of the anarchists. <laughs> oh, and I'll be the best feminist. Oh, what does nice. that mean? Well, you are the Hobbit of mutual aid. Yeah, Come on, I'm the best mutual aid. Just the I'm best the mutual best. aid. <laughs> the, like, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely feel that I am. <laughs> no, no, we have limitations, obviously. Um, many, many limitations. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think I complained about this earlier, but it is just me who's making the decision. So I can ask somebody for something specific. I can say, like, we need uh, we need toiletries this week. And then people do listen. But then um, if I say, what do you think of this idea? People will just kind of give it a like on Facebook. And that's that's our decision-making process and I feel um I've always been very uncomfortable with it just being me who makes these decisions because that's kind of worse than a charity structure that's me and my dictatorship and that's that's not so good is it like that's not what we're meant to be doing but um but you know that's a limitation if there were more people in my town who who shared the same principles I guess it wouldn't be like that but we have to just deal with what's on our plate to use a relevant food metaphor. One group that um, actually your mutual aid stuff reminds me of is Las Patronas, who are a group of women in Mexico that have started um, quite spontaneously 
um, making food to give to refugees that I think are on trains that are going to cross the border. Um, and they pass through their town. And I think it was like a, a group of sisters that just started feeding them because they literally saw them like shouting out of the carriages saying like, we're hungry, we need food. So now they have a whole kitchen that's bright pink um, <laughs> with a lot of other volunteers doing this work together on a regular basis. And there's a film about them that I might put in the description. Um, and yeah, and, and I just, I always found their story so inspiring because they do not, you know, frame anything they do in terms of anarchism, but it doesn't really matter mm. because what they do is just so straightforwardly helping people and also out of kindness. And I mean, I don't know if it's mutual aid or not, like, I don't know, because the people they help are there for one second. Like, literally, I don't think the train even stops. They're just standing there with bags and people grab them. But, you know, they've created a community around it in the town. And it's very much women led as well, which makes a lot of sense because it's usually women that do this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know, I think maybe they've even started, you know, branching out a bit, like just getting food to other people in the community or something like that. I, I recommend the film. Um, yeah, so I, I quite like that in the way that, like, I think acts of resistance can actually be quite, quote-unquote, boring in that way. Like, the most effective and important ones are not what monarchists want them to be, or even what maybe the mainstream perception of anarchism is, or what protests are. Like, mm -hmm. I'd much rather take part in what they're doing than go to a march. Like, I genuinely see it as being more impactful. And I, you know, I don't think, I obviously don't have to compare these things. They can just coexist. But I feel like people put emphasis on one over the other in a way that really isn't fair and is discounting the labor that often women do in that kind of particular way. <laughs> Who'd have thought, <laughs> what a strange thing to happen. <laughs> Doesn't sound familiar at all, but no, I... I agree with what you're saying there. And I think a lot of um, activism is heavily situational. Like I, I never anticipated that I'd be talking about phone boxes for the last year and a half. If it hadn't been for the pandemic, I'd have, I don't know what I'd have done. I'd have done something else, wouldn't I? But, um, and you know, the example you mentioned there is heavily situational. And even with protests, I find that the best ones are, they tend to be fairly spontaneous. Like um, the BLM ones last year, the first one that we had in Newcastle was fantastic because people just came out on the streets and then, by the time of the third one, it was the usual suspects who were organising it and um, and they were white people generally and it just kind of petered out. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think a lot of it is situational and I think you're completely right to say that the, uh, the labour of women does get discounted, doesn't it? So I feel like on like a really fundamental level of like everybody needs to eat food, but nobody necessarily or like a lot of people don't necessarily think about the fact that like people make the food into it to be edible and like who is doing that like <laughs> normally it's women and like that's like such a fundamental part of life but then it's like it's just crossed off of, be of either like being radical or just being yeah like work which obviously it is mm -hmm. yeah. it's a really great example it's also just like a great example of again just like doing something just like doing it <laughs> Yeah, it's sometimes a difficult thing, um, a difficult gap to bridge, I suppose, because plenty of people know what's wrong with the world. Plenty of people, even not heavily politicised people, know that there's an issue with food poverty and universal credit and they know what it's doing to people. And it's not that they don't care. It's just that you get caught up in day to day life, I guess, and you don't actually do anything. And it's how to like convince people to make that leap and to actually take action and you don't have to be a radical in order to do it I don't think but it maybe helps <laughs> yeah I also think what's interesting is um you know the problems seem so big and overwhelming and so that makes you think the solution has to be huge and overwhelming I have to get as many people as possible together to do the biggest thing ever and that will change everything forever when actually the solution is maybe more in these small things because if it's day-to-day -day yeah. life you're caught up in that's also where maybe you can make a difference 
Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, and it's a lot of these small things and it's a lot of people doing stuff like this. You know, I'm realistic. I'm not going to be changing the world or even changing my town, really, with a phone box, much as I'd like to. Well, Um, but maybe you are, though, right? Maybe that's what we need to change our mentality about, is that that is what changing the world means, because what what the hell else are you going to be able to do? Like, this is the thing that you can do, and then you're doing it. What yeah. what else? This is you you take what you can and you do it. Even exactly. if maybe you don't fully have the capacity because you've said you're tired like 20 times already. And I'm tired too. <laughs> like we're already overdoing it. So mm. yeah, nice. I completely agree. Um I think like the article, I'm I'm happy enough with the article, but I was ranting a bit, and I think possibly as a a final or semi-final point to make about the mutual aid was although that came across as quite negative and I am quite frustrated with a lot of the way that things have worked out it's still it's still a really positive thing that we did and if there's one thing in my life that I'm proud of it's this like we did a really good thing and we helped people and there was a lot of willingness in the community to help out with it and to actually solve the problem so even if even if we're not there yet we're a bit further on than we were and yeah I'm 100% happy with what we did it was the right decision at the time and I'll stand by that till the end it was great you know yeah it's lovely to it's lovely to hear that um I I think it like segues kind of nicely into another question I wanted to ask you which was just about like we've talked about how it's a lot of work to do this it's like emotional but it's obviously also like really physical work um and so I wondered if there was like ways of uh looking after yourself that you did that you yeah that whilst you're doing this kind of thing and like yeah I don't know that was really badly formulated question sorry no I I think I understand it um so (laughs) yeah I don't really do enough self-care I usually need somebody else to say please stop talking about phone boxes and get something to eat um and and that can be a bit difficult I think Taking time away from the internet it can be very helpful and just going to the forest and um, enjoying the silence. Like um, there's a bit like in a the, hobbit. Like a hobbit. Sorry. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> My secret past is revealed. But, um, there was a bit that I allude to, or not allude to, specifically mentioned in the article. Um, I'm trying to find it now. But it was about sweet gate. So um, a lot of people got annoyed because some kids were taking sweets from the larder. And that really like it got to me because I was thinking, how can you begrudge some kids some sweets and they're allowed to take the sweets anyway? Like what is what's up with you and why are you advocating police violence against these kids? And so I had to um, go to the forest. um, I took up hiking as well. I yeah, I've been doing a lot of that this year. I was going every weekend at some point. So I do do self-care. Um, I'm also on a lot of beta blockers, but I'm I'm basically fine. I think that serves as a reminder that I and probably several others need to do a bit more self-care. Um, but also like understanding that you don't hold all the power in this situation. And actually, you don't hold much power. And I guess I was aware of that already, because why would I be involved in politics otherwise? You know, but um, with the council could close us down at some point and I'm realistic about that and they would probably do it under some uh, health and safety pretext and at the moment I think they're just letting us get on with it but there might come a day when they close us down and remaining realistic about that and remaining yeah realistic about the fact that there's only so many arguments I can make and this might just be a temporary thing but going back to that thing of we help people and it was a good thing whether or not it was temporary it was it was still a good thing that we did that and we can go on and do something else I feel like um I'm going to speak to like the fourth wall now but like if anybody's listening to this podcast and this is maybe a reminder of like checking in with yourself and figuring out if you need to look after yourself today or any day um especially we, if you're engaged in stuff like this yeah um could we um brainstorm some self-care ideas just asking for a friend go to the um, forest because <laughs> obviously i mean we we are interviewing our magnificent mutual aid hobbit um but we could turn that question towards ourselves i'm not sure i want to but we could yeah i mean i think it's uh it's also easier to like come up with a list of things to do that is good for self-care than actually like doing the list but i think that's a good idea we can definitely talk about it i mean 
um I, I do also think it's like really highly personal like um you know uh for each person because we're all in such different contexts and we also have like different capacities and different like I guess just like comfort levels and access to various things what do you what do you do me yeah um (laughs) (laughs) aha the question question. the question asker becomes the question asky (laughs) The tables have tabled. Um, well, I guess for me, sometimes it's about like, um, sometimes I just need to go and lie down um, and be like, it's okay. I don't have to stand up. I don't have to sit up. I, I can just lie down right now and that's fine. Um, I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's, I also really struggle to be like present in my body and I experience like a lot of pain and fatigue day to day. So that's something that like for me, caring for myself means like coming back into myself and being like okay well right now I feel this and I can do something about it so I'm going to or right now I feel like this and I can't do something about it but I can be nice to myself and not beat myself up for feeling this or for whatever not being able to go somewhere um yeah um so I guess I do those things I also do like try to cultivate things that give me a lot of joy so that's where like a lot of my crafting stuff comes in and um reading books as well I find like escaping to be a form of care for me I guess um there are also some really key things as well for me like I um I'm not very good at like physically taking care of my body so sometimes I just need to check in and be like I need to eat something it doesn't have to be a meal it doesn't have to be like in quotation marks nutritious it just needs to be something and so I could I do that and that way I don't you know not eat for long periods of time um yeah and I I guess it's just also like maybe less about specific things I do and about just like having an approach to myself where I'm trying I'm on my side like it's not my mind versus my body it's me altogether trying to figure this out trying to live life in a way that is as full as joy as it can be whilst also not being completely away from the actual reality of me and my like disabled body uh I do none of those things, (laughs) but thanks for sharing. Also, I'm glad uh, you had a snack before we started the podcast. Great, great putting into practice of what you just said there. Well, Um, I feel like I probably should add something from my side, given I opened the discussion up. Oh, wait, I do want to say something about you, though, is that I think it's also about like giving yourself Like, I feel like you often are really hypercritical of yourself, even though you do actually do things that are, like, supportive to yourself. And it's about, like, reframing some of those things. Because, like, you know, when you, like, write a song or you play the guitar or, like, you do something that gives you joy, which you do do. Like, I know that sometimes, obviously, life is really hard, like I'm not saying, but you do have things that you do that give you joy and you do try to make time for them. And, you know, that's, like, a form of looking after yourself or at least, like, looking out for yourself. And, yeah. Okay, uh, this turned into a therapy session. That's fine. So, how does that make me feel? Um, makes me feel seen. I do do that. I, I do. I do. I don't frame it in that way. And I guess maybe it's similar to you framing maybe the escapism to some of the books as a form of looking after yourself, because I might frame some of the things I do to distract myself as not dealing with the problem, but actually it is. You know, I need to take a break. And I think that would be my biggest point on the self-care thing is that you can just leave. Like I am somebody that doesn't let things go very easily and just cling on like a little, little flea or something. <laughs> um, but it's okay to let things go because the responsibility of the entire world malfunctioning is not on you. Um, and it's it's hard to do it, but like that's something that I think is helpful to keep in mind. Because you cannot be effectively and like sustainably fighting for a better world if that is literally all you think about every second of the day and every activity is explicitly centered around it because the world is built to exhaust you anyway. Um, So if you're constantly fighting against it, that's another layer. And, you know, that's why I'm okay with buying pumpkin spice lattes sometimes. I'm not proud of it, but if it brings me joy, Hell, why not?
please unmute yourself so the listeners know you are laughing. <laughs> We're just sitting there in silence for the laughing. Shaking our heads. I bought three dresses last week because I wanted three dresses and I felt like a very bad communist, but also I'm wearing one of them right now and it's great and I, I do quite like dresses. That's valid too. Nice. Yeah. Definitely. And I feel like this is also something men do where like they will look down on those things. Um, I mean, they will look down on femininity and anything that also women like in other ways. Um, it's also even just that like these people who talk who, who talk about it, they're often always hypocrites. I mean, you know, they 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 do, you know, I don't know, buy things to make themselves feel happier, but they just don't like actually Before we see move it. On, like I do that. I did want to ask about the names of the phone boxes because um I heard, not that I've read the articles, but I heard that they have, or whatever, um, yeah, that they have fun names, and I just wanted to hear about them. Yeah, well, I don't know how fun this is to anybody else but me, um, <laughs> but I call them Peter and Emma, and Peter's gone now. Um, Peter was taken away by PT, but Emma's still there. Um, the names were inspired a wee bit by theory, um, because, you know, I I say bad things about theory all the time, but I am aware that it exists. So um, Peter and Emma was what they were called, and only Emma is still with us, which is great for feminism, but not so great in, um, in terms of maintaining a phone box. Yeah, BT are actually like really big comrades of anarcho-feminism, which is why they left the Emma box. <laughs> also, yeah, that's probably it, yeah. I was going to say that I think um, we wanted to talk about your beginnings Katie as um you know your radical ideas your radical identity as a radical person slash hobbit mm. and um kind of that journey because in our first episode we kind of go through how we came around to identifying as an arc feminist um so maybe maybe you you have a similar story in terms of your identity but let's maybe quit. I do yeah maybe um well I was born um a baby and then I grew <laughs> into, into an adult really? um, you were baby. born that's really yeah weird. I was physically born as a baby um <laughs> but I wasn't a communist right away that was the thing because I didn't have the capacity to even though I'm not a fan of theory um, I'm still very focused on still on food and combating food poverty but in a, a rather more self-centered way because I was a baby um Okay, maybe we'll cut this bit because this is just the product of my No, I won't. No, we won't. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> to, to answer your question in a more relevant way, um, we discussed this a bit earlier and I used the words uh, Marxist-Leninist and I nearly regretted it because you looked a bit like you were going <laughs> to walk down and like, stab me a bit. Um, but we'll, we'll maybe like... We'll do the judgment after the explanation, right? So um, so I was 13, this was a long time ago, and I'd just got into communism. And um, I'd basically just looked up the dictionary definition of what a communist was, and I thought, oh, well, that's me. I already think these things. So my area of interest at the time was the Cuban Revolution, and um, never completely uncritically. Um, and I'm still interested in it, and I still, like, well, I've been to Cuba, and I've never not criticised it, but... It was like nothing I'd ever heard of before, so it was transformative. Um, and for me, the only way to be a communist, in my mind, was to be a Marxist-Leninist, because I knew a couple of Stalinists, and they were awful, and I didn't want to be them. Um, but as far as I knew at that point, yeah, I was a Marxist-Leninist. And then I tried to be a Marxist-Leninist, and I would go to these meetings, and I, I would still be a child, technically, and the experience of going to these meetings, I would be lectured by men in their 60s about how I couldn't participate until I'd read a particular book so I would go away and I'd read the book and then the next week I'd come back and it would be a different book and you know this would go on for a while and I just thought well how many books do I have to read before they take me seriously and um and there was an element of creepiness in this as well like I think um I realized probably too late that for a lot of these men the end goal of going to these meetings was to feel like they'd won something, they'd won a debate, and that was, it was a hobby for them. And, um, you know, they'd won a debate against a 14-year-old girl, so well done. But, like, um, you know, I would ask, like, um, so who's going to the protest on Saturday? And nobody would turn up. So I always had that kind of um, <laughs> preference for direct action, 
but um but it didn't become a thing for ages because um I got sick of leftist infighting by the time I was 18 and I wasn't hugely political as a student because my choice was the communists who are awful um or the SWP who as we know are even worse and um yeah there, there just wasn't really a way in um and then I was a cleaner for a bit after I graduated and then I was an office worker for three and a half years and if somebody asked me I said you know I'm a communist but I can't I couldn't um do anything that made me a communist because I was in an office the whole time <laughs> and um so yeah I was a communist like I would wear a hat you know that that was my ideology that I was wearing but I wasn't doing anything and there was nothing that would set me apart from a Tory voter really and I'm not saying that to be too self-critical because that's that's how the system works right you know <laughs> that's how they keep you out of politics um and I was very lucky that in my job it's fairly normal to be self-employed at some point so I, I seized my means of production. I became self-employed, and this meant that I could um, I could do direct action because you know if somebody tells my boss that I've been up to no good, then the boss isn't going to care, is she? <laughs> She's delighted, and um, and I had a lot more flexibility with my time. So so that happened like roughly five six years ago that I went self-employed. I got more into this kind of thing, and I met a lot of anarchists along the way. And I was like, oh, I never really thought about these people before who are they they I always thought of them as very loud and um you know unpredictable but they seem a lot of fun and um and I suppose that influenced my ideology a bit <laughs> so I would no longer say I'm a Marxist Leninist if somebody asks I'm I'm a communist um if somebody wants to apply anarchism to the mutual aid I'm doing you know fair enough that's where it comes from but um I don't think the label is ever going to be as important as the stuff you're actually doing. So, um, and I'm definitely a feminist, obviously. Um, it wouldn't be in my interest to be anything else, really. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of a potted history of um, my my life. <laughs> so yeah. are you saying you are a communo-feminist? A communo-feminist. Uh, yeah, see, us communists, we just, we don't really speak like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> also, I would like to say that um, just because I am loud and unpredictable, it's not because I'm an anarchist. It's because I'm an Aries. Yeah, good, good. <gasps> I'm an Aries too. Yeah. I'm not loud or unpredictable. I'm very boring and I'm an Aries, so... <laughs> yeah, I can. You know, I do feel like it's quite Aries to just be like, let's just do this. Like... Mm. Also, sorry, but like, um, sounds awful. Like being 13, 14, lectured to by 60 year old men, told to read awful books, probably deeply boring, yeah. presumably. Very boring. Incredibly and just boring. like always told to like, no, 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 try this one. You have to read this one before you can say anything. Like, that's so horrid. I'm, I'm so yeah. sorry. Uh, it, it, there was, there was worse stuff as well. Like, um, there was this one time I was 14, right. And I was trying to join my local communist group and, like a lot of these are quite security conscious so they wanted to meet me in person and they wanted to meet me in a pub and I was like oh I'm a 14 year old girl I don't really want to meet a group of men that I don't know in a pub because I was relatively sensible at that age and um and they didn't understand why I wouldn't want to do that and I think the result of me meeting them would have been that I'd have been very bored I don't think they meant harm but the fact that they didn't understand that's harmful in itself and I think um that's the case with men <laughs> quite often it's not that they're all out to do harm necessarily it's just that they don't get it and they let harm be done by other men yeah also just to go back I think that you're a communist feminist feminist communist doesn't matter but like <laughs> well see the the, the brochelist will tell you that you don't need to worry about feminism until after the revolution because it will all be sorted then so you're not allowed to talk about it until they've done the revolution but you'll be busy doing the washing up, I guess. And, um, and then they'll be in charge of feminism and you should still shut up. Yeah, <laughs> then nobody can hear you over the sound of the faucet running and the, exactly. you know, clinging of the dishes. Yeah, and they tried like, to talk to you, but the washing machine was going and you had to take mm. the laundry out in five minutes. So, yeah. It's just impossible. It's it's impossible for men to um, to listen, actually. And it's it's really our fault. But, um, <laughs> and I should have been more contrite. <laughs> yeah yeah well um yeah I also feel like that your your experiences cover like so much of what we've already talked about on this on this um on this podcast 
especially in the sense of like thinking about the way that men like position themselves as the people with knowledge even when you're part of a community that's trying to dismantle like institutions that hold on to all of this knowledge and power and resources and um yeah it's quite a painful experience really and I I think it must have been even more painful for you as like like a teenager because like yeah I don't know I feel like when you're younger you're trying to find out how you can like exist and connect with people in the world but then to like constantly be, be like deferred away from I don't like the true source of what's supposed to be happening and like not yeah nice. the wisdom yeah yeah I mean I wouldn't have identified as an activist until a few years ago um, and even giving yourself that label it, it feels like you're you're not being humble enough but um but you know I care about this stuff and okay I'm, I'm not very good at theory because I, I don't really read but um but you know there's stuff I can do and that's that's the stuff I'm gonna do so <laughs> you know everybody should do what they're capable of doing and and that's all, really. Um, yeah, I think it's also maybe quite a feminist stance to be against theory in that way, because feminist theory in and of itself is supposed to be intertwined with experience and practice. Mm. Um, and so I feel like maybe, like, yeah, theory, like a capital T, um, it's good to oppose it. You know, like you're basically spitting in the face of all those 60-year-old men. <laughs> This is going back to the issue of spite. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I should I should probably make the point that I don't think theory is irrelevant by any means. It's just that personally, I'm not very good at it. Um, um, I'm also not hugely interested in it. Like, it's not how I would spend a Saturday evening. Um, but it's fine for other people to spend their Saturday evenings that way. That's not. I'm not going to judge that at all. And we need people who are good at that kind of thing, um, yes. so that we we know where we're going. Um, I'm not. I'm not inherently anti-theory. It's just. And I do think it's a problem where a lot of the same men that will complain about like feminist discussions derailing the conversation (laughs) uh, will speak about Marx, often incorrectly, for 15 hours. You can be in a space Mm. and all they talk about is books they've read. And Mm. then you want to make a point that's actually practical and needs to be made. And you need to talk about it in the next two hours because then like an event is happening. But suddenly nobody has time for that. But nobody's called them out on that. And you're supposed to be too like, I don't know, hung up on details when you're actually addressing the basics. And I hate that. And then you're just the angry feminist. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Slash you're causing, you're just causing more trouble, you know, making Mm. people uncomfortable, but like, yeah, I, I think you're, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm completely anti-theory, but I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. And I also think that, like, um, there's, like, just the callousness about how people engage with theory, especially men who do, because um, they're, like, never, ever reading, like, women, maybe one woman. And that feels really awful to be like, oh, this is, like, world-building, world-expanding, like, theory. And then just, like, they never, ever even include, like, a single woman in the creation of that world or in, like, like imagining that future which just feels yeah like really uncaring and I do also think that then that is just like this balance of like um actually doing stuff is really lost do they actually know how to like physically look after people and like actually make the world better do they I'm not sure if they do yeah do you feel like men have changed since um you were younger and like yeah, how they treat you or anything, or has it stayed the same? It stayed the same. Um, yeah, I can have. There's a fair amount that I might have to say about men on the left. I mean, it might even be a rant. Um, heaven forbid, but it might turn into a rant. Um, but um, <laughs> I'll try and go somewhere with it. So, I guess I'm going to be talking about men and women. And when I talk about men and women, I mean everybody who identifies as such. Just to add a disclaimer, I'm trying to be better as a cishet woman being. Uh, very much anti-turf in case I'm mistaken for one. Um, Yeah, so as an activist and as a woman, you're fighting the one battle as an activist, and that's the battle about how you take back power from those who hold it. How do you reclaim it and how do you use it for your own benefit and the benefit of marginalised groups, you know? And as many activists will be well aware, many radicals will be aware that um, Petitions and lobbying are only ever going to do so much, and it's direct action that makes the change and it makes it quickly. But then, as a woman, you're facing this battle within a battle, and 
essentially it's the same thing because you're fighting men who are supposed to be on the same side as you just to be heard. And I think the thought processes are basically the same. It's like, oh, why aren't those people in power hearing me? Was I too polite? Was I too direct? Well, I can I can be a lot less polite and I can be a lot more direct. And they're still not listening. And maybe it's because they don't want to listen because they want to hold on to the power that they have. So it's it's the same thing. And um, I think I and many others have encountered situations where groups will hold meetings and the only people to speak throughout these meetings are men or even the only people to attend are men. And there isn't much thought given to like why this problem actually exists or even to classifying it as a problem. And, you know, men in, like um, assuming that women are just not as radical as they are inherently or that women just don't have the time to participate. And it's a very surface level analysis. And it's hugely frustrating to me when it comes from men who've got a much higher level of education than me because it's not that complicated really you know a lot of them will understand concepts on paper like um, the unequal distribution of housework but they refuse to join the dots and understand that that will mean that women might have less time to come to meetings and they they don't make any adjustments that would allow women to participate accordingly and um and it's a battle within a battle that I think is in a lot of ways it's harder it's more personal and above all it's more hurtful because it's a battle with people who are meant to be on your side and it's you know you can go and pick it a landlord or protest an arms dealer but it's about sitting down with a male comrade and like saying to him look you're wrong about this thing and it affects us and would you listen and if they don't seem willing to hear it in the first place then where do you go with it and um a lot of the solutions that I've seen from them are what I would describe as tokenistic so it's pushing women to um take public facing roles in an activist group but it's not doing anything that would allow us to actually have power in the group like participate in meetings for example um so yeah those are those are some of my practical thoughts but um the reason this is so important right because it's incredibly frustrating to me when it it comes to the more serious side of things because this is actual consequences for women and it's it's the sheer frequency by which abusers get platformed within groups and the effort that goes into explaining to men who they understand very clearly why you shouldn't platform fascists and they make that their entire personality but they don't understand why you don't platform abusers and I was thinking about why this is the case and um, I think part of it is that fascists are very easy to spot you know like they they make that their whole personality and they're not known for being shy and they're choosing to spend their Saturday afternoons shouting about refugees when they could do anything else and we should oppose them you know actively and noisily and by whatever means necessary and you know the saying in German where if you have nine people at the table and a fascist joins them you know 10 fascists at the table you know that's all good but but when it comes to abusers I think I think that part of it is that self-professed male feminists would have to confront their own behavior towards women in the past even if that was just thin end of the wedge stuff and even if it was you know just on the borderline but um yeah and I think there's an unwillingness to do that because abusers aren't going to self-identify in the same way as fascists because to do so would mean that they couldn't continue their behavior and when I'm in a more sympathetic mood which uh, is rarely at this age um, I'll try and remember that everybody has stuff that they overlook and the system that we're in actually encourages us to overlook stuff because that's divide and rule isn't it but where I lose patience completely is with its with willful ignorance and where it's men who've got no hesitation in lecturing you about the more abstract points of politics and who take up all the space in any given meeting and then you raise a practical issue that affects you personally and they just look down at their shoes and it's on you to sort out their mess um and as a final point on this, because um, I know I've gone on, but um, I wanted to make the point that patriarchy harms us all. You know, each year on one of these state mandated days for raising awareness about mental health instead of actually funding mental health services. And I think the dialogue around mental health among men is very surface level in, in the same way as tokenism towards men, uh, towards women, sorry, in activist groups. It's you know, men find it innately hard to talk about their feelings or women are innately less radical. And, um, you know, these are the structures that we're raised in and they cause us to feel that way. And I think that it's those structures that we on the left should dismantle regardless of our gender. 
Yes. Lots of nodding from us whilst that was happening. <laughs> Wise nodding. <laughs> good. It's good that I can see you because, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have known how that was going down otherwise. <laughs> You're making, you know, just making faces like, fuck this. <laughs> men are great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I say that every day. <laughs> I love men. That's <laughs> uh, what we all say all the time. That, that sounded so wrong coming from you. That yeah. was like... <laughs> Yeah, well, that was really good. I thoroughly enjoyed that very much. Thank you. Um, one thing that um, it reminded me of was the idea of a revolution within a revolution, which is a saying I've heard in the context of Zapatistas. Hmm. And there's actually a really nice podcast that I listened to recently. I think it's by an Irish feminist collective. It's on Spotify. Um, I think it's called something like the Zapatistas podcast, Lessons and Stories from Chappas. And I listened to an episode about the woman's struggle specifically. And that is a phrase that they use uh, because they talk about how at the very beginnings, it was very male dominated and patriarchal. And they very much had to fight from the inside at the same time as, you know, fighting other enemies and other struggles. And it seems to be this universal thing that actually women have in, in struggle because then you use the words um, a battle within the battle as well. Like, I feel like that encompasses it really well. And I actually think a revolution within a revolution is also the name of a book about the Cuban revolution. Um, So everywhere. So um, the way we usually end our episodes is that we ask about a good thing that's happened to us this week. So we end on a positive, wholesome note. And uh, if you are okay to partake, I will direct that question to you, our guest, our visitor in the Gremlin Cave. Um, Well, I thought about this. It's probably, it's a good thing that's going to happen tomorrow. Um, I'm going to Birmingham, which isn't good in itself at all, but um, I'm getting up at half past five. (laughs) Sorry to Birmingham. Huge dunk on Birmingham. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up up, Um, close to Birmingham, so I feel that I can be... (laughs) They're <laughs> just incredibly prejudiced about it. Um, <laughs> the reason I'm going to Birmingham is because um, I'm partaking, participating in a women in organising training session held by my tenants union, ACORN. And um, I've not really been to anything like that before. And I'm optimistic. And I think tenants unions are something that's quite new to me. I don't think they were widespread when I was younger. And they definitely need to be. So join your local tenants union and um and i'll report back on how all of that went in birmingham that sounds great i think that this week my good thing is that well i'm extremely stressed but um i've uh, i made these two mushrooms this week so i'm going to show you but then i'll describe them like um and i'm learning how to needle felt so oh. great <laughs> Thank you. Ooh. So yeah, they're made out of um wool and needle felting is where you just take a bunch of wool and then you literally just stab it with a needle like multiple times and it like constricts it to make like more of a firm material. And so yeah, these are two mushrooms. They're actually for two of my friends, but I'm telling you about them because like this is gonna come out way after I've given them, so it's all fine. <laughs> um and yeah, so they're like, one of them is like a red mushroom with like um, white dots on top, like those, you know, the classic toadstool, like fairy toadstool mushrooms. And then the other one is um, orange and then it has like a red center and it also has some dots on top because I searched orange mushroom and this one came up. I don't know what it's called. Um, yeah, so that's nice. i feel like all of my answers are just so random like this week i learned how to tie cords this week i learned how to (laughs) eat an apricot with a knitting needle this week you needle stabbed some mushrooms exactly (laughs) (laughs) your turn vicky oh fuck (laughs) um i guess the most obvious answer that comes to mind is that i did a performance last week, uh, which was my spoken word slash poetry reading slash writing reading um, debut. And uh, yeah, it was the first time I read something in that way. It was actually an event only for women and non-binary people, uh, which was great. My preferred kind of event, despite 
obviously some issues with the spaces too and the way they're defined and the words and uh, but I had a very nice time um and also I mean like it was an open mic so it it was quite a lot of people that came up and read things and some of them I literally like cried <laughs> it was also actually centered around the theme of survivorship uh, because it came out of a bunch of creative writing workshops that were for survivors and so it was very intense but in a good way you know in a sharing and I also knew it was going to be because of the theme so I could be prepared um, but it was it was intense in the sharing of authentic experiences kind of way and also everybody thought it was funny <laughs> nice also you read a poem about mushrooms too so I did We're so, so I will it's I almost will, like we uh, live we... together and are the same person. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> we are just one body with like the, you know, like the the dog in the, I don't know much about mythology. There's a dog with oh, three like heads. Oh, like Cerberus? Like, the, like yeah. that's like the gates of hell or whatever? Sure. That's okay. us. <laughs> the vibes are scarily similar. <laughs> are they? Are they? Um, great. Thank you so much for being here Katie it was a pleasure I was honoured to be your first guest honoured and surprised but um, <laughs> mostly honoured <laughs> when we came up with the idea we were like yeah it's gonna be good Katie's cool oh. yeah. well I hope I hope you're not too disappointed now then um nah, it was I'm good not, I've never been cool um I accepted that at an early age, roughly the time that I became a communist. Um, <laughs> in fact, it was exactly the same day. It was, in fact, the exact same moment. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> not really cool, but I am going to be a communist. And, um, and someday somebody will think that's cool. Yeah, it is cool. I'm saying it's cool. Thank you. If you have any things uh, you'd like us to read, you can email all your comments about what we said in this episode. You can email us um, at our email, which is anarchisminterrupted at protonmail.com. You can also uh, find us on social media at anarchafempod Twitter. And you can find the transcripts from uh, this episode on anarchisminterrupted.wordpress.com. And thanks so much to the people who helped with the transcript this week. I really appreciate it. Uh, bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye.